Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Noel Kassler podcast, episode 41. We only have a few left in this year. Looking forward to it. Getting into it, my main man, Jimmy Kennedy. First, I want to tell you about an event I have coming up. I'm doing a show in Boston on December 26th at the City Winery. It's going to be lit. It's going to be sort of a Christmas year in review stand-up show. Come on out December 23rd, City Winery, 6 p.m. We'll see you there. I'm wearing my Boston Pops t-shirt today, Jimmy. I used to do a... uh, On CBS, they have fireworks and the Boston Pops, and it was a show I used to do every year. So I did it with like Neil Diamond or Rascal Flatts. Like we would get these random like musicians and they would perform with the Boston Pops, which is a wonderful philharmonic orchestra in the Hatch Band shell, which is down by the St. Charles River or the Charles River. And uh, it was just a wonderful event. I love Boston. I always have a, a good time in Boston. It's kind of like the cousin to New York City. It's a great comedy town. So it's going to be a good night. And a lot of listeners are coming out. I'm stoked about that. It's always fun to hear hear their comments about the podcast. And they often say hi to you, Jimmy. So come on out. December 23rd, City Winery, Boston, 6 p.m. All right. So Jimmy's got his Stevie Ray Vaughan t-shirt on today. Uh-huh. Trouble. You know, I used to tour with Whipper, Chris Layton, who was the drummer in Double Double Trouble. Great guy. He used to tell me great stories about Stevie. And I told the Jackson Brown story last week on the podcast. But Stevie was uh, a real inspiration. Stevie got sober, which is the greatest thing about what he achieved in my mind, because you can hear it in his music after he got sober. And, uh, you know, getting sober is like connecting with a higher power. You know, it's about like you really start if you're an artist and you get sober, that's when you really start cooking with uh, with gasoline, so to speak. And uh, he was somebody who was taken from us much too young. But um, that happens a lot these days, you know, and yeah. uh, nothing funny about that. But um, I'm glad that you're you're into the blues in that way. Yeah, my, my dad was always a big fan. Um, and he actually met Stevie Ray Vaughan once taking him to an AA meeting. It was around the time that Stevie was getting sober and my dad was just working for one of the local promoters here in Indy and was kind of doing as he was told and was a little nervous because he's with the celebrity and, but they ended up pulling up to a church and it was right before the show, you know, Stevie wanted to get right and have a meeting and it demonstrated to dad that even, even the stars need to, humble themselves and and do what they need to do to perform to be ready so as a performer himself to see srv do that it was uh it was very cool um something he told me about and something i don't know if i should be sharing it but uh well he would be proud of it let me speak on that it's called anonymous for a reason so technically yeah yeah, we're not supposed to talk about it stevie's no longer with us so i don't yeah. think he's gonna mind but yeah you don't talk about it at the level of radio television and film that's just a rule because somebody might be like hey i hate noel he goes to aa that guy's a libtard i'm not getting sober <laughs> you know we keep politics yeah. out of it because it has to be an open door for everybody but it works it works yeah. if you work it as they say and I'm, I'm pretty open about my sobriety i don't mention the 12-step meetings i go to but uh, I've been on the path for 16 years and it's the best thing I ever did. I was in rehab at Christmas 16 years ago, Jimmy. And that was awesome. That was one of the best Christmases I ever had, you know, because I was giving myself the gift of sobriety. And this time of year is brutal on alcoholics, both sober and not sober. <laughs> you know, it's a tough time of year for everybody. But if you have that particular disease, 
and you're on the, uh, you know, you're still on the suffering side of it. The holidays can be rough. So special shout out to those that are going through that and, um, you know, get help. Help is out there. So on that note, you know, that cheerful holiday note of sobriety, <laughs> you know, let's talk about what's going on this week. I, I, let's start with the funny stuff first. None of it is funny. The Kanye uh-huh. West thing is insane. <laughs> I worked with Kanye West since the jingle ball that I first did with him, probably around 2007 or eight or something, right when he like sort of came on the scene as a superstar. Uh-huh. And, you know, Anybody who's ever worked production with Kanye West will will tell you Kanye West is a freaking nightmare. You know, I've told the stories before the twelve twelve benefit, which is actually the anniversary of today. We're we're doing the uh, we're doing the show on Sunday, the twelfth of December. But we did this big benefit at the Garden for victims of Superstorm Sandy in the tri-state area. And Kanye West wasn't invited because he's a nightmare, you know, Mm. and we needed people that were actually going to show up and play ball. It wasn't about them. You know, the who played all these big bands, Rolling Stones, who I was working for at the time. And I was working on the show as well. And you wanted people that were going to come in, understand it's a charity and get out. It wasn't the time for egos, you know, and Kanye's got this massive ego and doesn't play along. So he sort of muscled his way onto this benefit and then just became a complete diva and nightmare. And I was the SAG after coordinator and he wouldn't sign my paperwork, you know, so I chased him around all night trying to get his paperwork signed. And his manager was basically like, he's not going to come on, let's be real. He's not signing this. <laughs> you know what I mean? He doesn't yeah. need the 700 bucks, but it meant we couldn't use any of his footage, you know, to raise money and stuff. So he's just, you know, he's a disaster. He's mentally ill, you know, and he's getting exploited by Trump. He got exploited. You know, the guy needs help. I'm not dissing him. He's just, he's clearly mentally like challenged, you know, and there's no shame in that, but he, you know, he's, he's, he's a lunatic, you know, <laughs> and, and like Trump sort of pulled him into his orbit and they had him run, you know, to steal votes away. And then they had him use his publicist to go intimidate this woman down in Georgia. And the story is, is harrowing. I won't mention her name. It's public, but you know, I want to leave her out of that, that side of it. But Rachel Maddow <laughs> did a deep dive on what she went through. Dudes showing up on her front door, banging on her door in the middle of the night, threatening her. That's scary. You know, I'm somebody who I've, I've been on Twitter for three years now. My Twitter debut came with a viral video, you know, of, of my stand-up set, right? Mm-hmm. That stuff about Trump doing Adderall, which was all true. Kathy Griffin and all these people retweeted it. I started getting death threats then. I got mm-hmm. on a list back then and I'm just a comedian you know, who is saying something that most everybody who's been around Trump knows about. They won't tell you about it because they don't want to get sued or whatever. But it was no big secret. This poor woman and her daughter who worked at the county elections board, you know, helping people vote, doing their civic duty, doing upstanding work that makes democracy run, were getting death threats because Trump himself singled her out and mentioned her by name and said that she cheated and showed a video of her, which was totally normal, just taking the basket of ballots off the table and counting them or whatever. And he's showing this at a rally in Georgia (laughs) to all these redneck idiots, you know, with their guns and stuff. And they're like, this lady stole your election because they wanted the dream to extend the dream they were living of having a 75 year old drug addict in diapers, funneling as much money as he could to his children in the four years he was there and knowing he had a lot of bills coming due if he had to leave office, 
So he was going to do anything he could to stay in power, you know, and they single out this woman. And then Kanye gets involved and has his publicist fly from Chicago to intimidate this woman, you know, and there's video. Did you see the video, Jimmy? Yeah, I've seen it where she's just sitting there and the publicist is like talking to her and kind of interrogating her, you know, with <laughs> but, yeah. uh, and to yeah. the woman's credit, she's like, you're the devil. The devil's a liar. <laughs> if he gets up, you know, because the woman asked the cop to leave the room. Right. So she can right. threaten her, essentially. And she was like, hey, it'd be a shame if something happened to you. <laughs> you know, like it, it's insane. And that's real. That happened. And barely made the news. You know, it was a bit of a splash on Friday. Nobody's talking about it by Sunday. You know, we got Christmas trees that are burning up, you know, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, like. Give them so, more attention. Right. It's just, it, but it, it's the reality show version of democracy, you know, and it shows you how emboldened Trump was. He had a PowerPoint presentation, 38 pages. They passed it around Capitol Hill. They showed it to GOP senators. There's no way in freaking hell Lindsey Graham didn't see that PowerPoint presentation, right? Mm -hmm. They saw it. Even folks on the congressional side, Kevin McCarthy saw that shit, right? And nobody's really doing anything about it because it's too complicated. Not that the the thing is complicated. It's just too complicated to go deep into all this stuff. And I said a year ago, almost to the day, when Bill Barr quit, I said, he's quitting because there's a plan afoot that's even too hinky for Bill Barr, the guy who got Elliot Abrams off from the massacre at El Mazote in the 80s, the guy who thought nothing of taking out Jeffrey Epstein in a freaking jail cell where they had El Chapo, okay? People don't just hang themselves in Manhattan Correctional Center, okay? That's not just like you're in a local jail in Texas somewhere, you know, and the guards go off duty. This is a high-profile place, and this is one of the most high-profile prisoners in the entire world right and bill barr has him killed clearly there's no way that that's not what happened and everybody knows it but nobody's going to say anything so think about that so that guy who did that a year and a half later when he got wind of what trump was going to do was like i'm out of here y'all are freaking nuts (laughs) you know like and that just shows you the extent of this stuff and the writing was on the wall that they were going to do something right? This was December. We all knew this was coming. And what happened on January? It came. And now we know that it was all public and planned and they had a PowerPoint and shit and nobody's doing anything about it, right? No one's arresting them. He admitted last week to Lester, or he admitted three years ago to Lester Holt that he fired Comey because he was going to interfere in the Russian, you know, he was getting in his way with the Russia investigation. And he just admitted it again last week. He's on (laughs) tape. Being like, yeah, I did it. I committed a crime. The, the man operates with impunity. And he always has because he operates within a system where other people make money off it. And if you go too deep into it, you're taking down other situations. He, he started a media company a week ago that got a billion dollars. And we're not allowed to know where he got that billion dollars because they played by rules that are set in place to make financial instruments on Wall Street that you can go just above like owning 5% of stock and they don't have to report who bought the stock from the SEC, Mm. okay? So this is insane stuff. But my point is financial services companies make money off of that. White shoe law firms make money off of that. 
So they're going to let him do it because that billion dollars he raised for his media company last week, and they're able to do this without having a product or saying what the company is about. It's like an IPO where they say, well, we don't even know what we're going to make yet, but we're going to start this company. You want to invest in it, right? It's a public <laughs> company. That's literally what happens. And everybody invests and it's like, okay, now Trump has a media company. Somebody gave him a billion dollars and we don't know who it was. Right. Obviously it was Saudi Arabia, but my point is there's other people involved that are going to make money off of that, right? Because that, now that's a billion dollars that's getting passed around Wall Street that people can take commissions on, that if somebody else can call up their clients say, hey, you want a piece of this? It's hot. You know, it's an IPO. It's going to be Trump media. It's money. The law firm, you know, people have to make these contracts. The, the, the sort of machinations behind big business support an entire segment of our society. That's why Deutsche Bank would always sign off on these loans because other people are like, hey, you know, my country club dues are coming up. My kid needs to get into college. You know, whatever it is, there's always a reason to look the other way with that guy. And now we're at that way at a governmental level. You know, now we have basically arms of the government just being like, well, sure, there was a PowerPoint, but yeah. let's take our time with this investigation. You know, all the people that are being subpoenaed are like, F you, I'm not showing up. And we'll get into Mark Meadows and all those guys in a minute. But people treat you how you tell them to treat you, okay? And the Democrats are telling Republicans, like, you don't really have to respect us. We're not really gonna do anything to you. We want to, and we want to be on Maddow, and we want to sound like we're outraged and we're going to get to the bottom of this, but we're not really willing to put a boot up their ass in the way it needs to be done, right? Yeah. Steve Bannon's trial is in July, mm -hmm. July 18th. That gives him seven months to grift off of this. You don't think Trump was sending out texts yesterday to the victims in Kentucky and all these other states in Tennessee of these tornadoes? I guarantee you there's people's phones going off that are still under rubble right now. And they're getting texts that say, send Trump $25. They're trying to steal the election from him. He won, right? It's a grift. Nobody cares. I'll let you talk in a minute. Rand Paul asked for money. He was the first guy. Give us some money. He voted against Sandy. He voted against Hurricane Maria. You know, every Republican senator voted, senator voted against relief checks last year, the $1,400 checks. Every single member of the GOP voted against it. $1,400, nothing for our government, right? They'd rather have you working in a warehouse at two in the morning, getting killed by a tornado, working an hourly job, non-union, than getting benefits. So the 1% can still get tax cuts. So big oil companies can pump tons of money into their campaigns and let climate change go unarrested in this country. Mitch McConnell made $172 million in dark money, right? His buddies have a PAC, a non-for-profit, and they raise money. You know, they raise money for him, $172 million. The dude is owned by coal companies. He's owned by Oleg Deripaska, hmm. right? It's, it's a big fucking scam, you know, and people are dying. As I say all the time, the red states are going to suffer the most. They'll rebuild New York City. You know, we're in high rises. We get floods and stuff, but a tornado is not going to take us out. But you're working in a 100,000 square foot corrugated aluminum shed, you know, on the side of a field somewhere in Tornado Alley. You're screwed if it's 65 degrees in December, which it was in New York City yesterday in the middle of December. It's a world record. Well, and, you know, it's crazy to me that the GOP certainly likes big government when it benefits them in time of disaster. And 
you mentioned Rand Paul voting against like aid in previous situations with other hurricanes. Hurricane Maria was the first instance where I knew Trump was a tyrant to allow thousands of people to die without even blinking an eye, knowing that there wasn't the infrastructure there. You know, whether they died from the hurricane or just not having power or the resources you need to get through something like that, he gave his buddy the contract to rebuild the electrical grid. Like, it's all a grift. And anybody who's paying attention in 2016, they weren't crying because Hillary lost. They were crying because Trump won and he was going to break it. And now it is broken. You know, that's, I think that's the toughest thing that I'm accepting is that the Republic's not gone, but it's, it's broken. It's always been broken, Jimmy. And it's always been broken. Yeah. Yeah. It's always, it's just broken now to the point that like, it's egregious. Mm -hmm. You know, Ryan Zinke, it wasn't just his buddy. It was the interior secretary. And that guy gave the contract to rebuild the grid in Puerto Rico to a Whitefish Electric out of Whitefish, Montana, a company with 12 employees that was run by his college roommate. Got the contract for $80 million, whatever it is. I'm just throwing a number out there. You know, wholly unprepared to take on the task at hand. It would cost countless lives to do that, which it did. You know, and they ultimately had to give it to somebody else. But it was just seen as a grift, an opportunity to grift. And it was personal for Trump because he hates Puerto Ricans. Trump used to call them spicks. That's what he would say on The Apprentice set. My friend was a New York, you know, Puerto Rican audio guy. And Trump would say spick and then look at him with a little smile on his face. Trump is like 60s New York. And if you see West Side Story and stuff like Puerto Ricans were like the subject of a lot of racial animosity in New York, in the generation that Trump came up in, you know, so it was personal. He was like, look, my base doesn't care about Puerto Ricans. I'm just going to throw down, go down there and throw some paper towels at them. And I'll figure out how I can skim some relief money off the top. Cause they didn't let me build a, you know, golf course 10 years ago. So I still hate him Cause he had that personal like beef with Puerto Rico too. Okay. That's why he got in a fight with the mayor. If you remember, he started bad mouthing the mayor, uh-huh. you know, while her entire like Island is without power. And he's picking fights with her because she's a woman and she stood up to him, which is the other thing he hates. And people applauded that. That's why he was popular, because he was misogynistic, racist and a grifter. And that looks pretty good to a lot of people. Right. A lot of ignorant people signed up for that. I don't need to go back down that rant, but, you know, that's what it's about. Seventy seven percent of Kentucky voted for Trump a year ago. They're screwed now. There's entire towns that are flattened. They voted against, you know, their own interests. It's not like the tornado would have happened no matter Mm -hmm. who's president, but at least you have one side trying to address climate change and you have every Republican senator and congressman voting against build back better, right? And you have Democrats, Joe Manchin and all these guys that are owned by the Koch brothers and oil companies and coal companies that don't want you addressing climate change, right? What do they make in Kentucky? methamphetamine and coal and shitty bourbon right that's their thing and they abuse some horses once a year and call it a derby you know (laughs) what i mean it's not the best and brightest down there and kentuckians will get pissed there's some great people from there you know rex chapman is a kentuckian you know there's a lot of great like writers from there i'm not dissing on kentucky i'm dissing on the culture that keeps getting exploited by right-wing media and by right-wing politicians. You think Rand Paul gives a shit about your average Kentuckian, right? The guy was anti-mask, anti-vax, wealthy Mm -hmm. dude. Mitch McConnell 
has never done anything for Kentucky. He's been their senator since the 80s. He's now a very wealthy man in one of the poorest states in our country. You're screwed if you're born in Kentucky. You might get out of there, but your shot at a good life isn't close to what it would be if you were born in Massachusetts, right? Or California or New York or another state, right? So they love to diss on the Democrats and they love to vote against their own interest. And, and it's a cultural thing. How do you change them? How do you change their minds? You know, they vote the same way where you're from in Indiana, which is another tornado alley kind of place. I mean, it blows my mind. We, we think about uh, a lot of times people in Indianapolis are feel lucky that we're not Louisville because like major sports town as a major sports town, you're at least able to draw some, some media, some some kind of attention. You know, if it weren't for the Pacers and the Colts and the final four and all the, all the conventions that we host in Indianapolis, Indy would be Louisville, you know, and there would only be a college town occasionally bringing an event there. So just from having a sports background, I I can understand what you're talking about, that there's just not a lot there, but similar to uh, Mitch McConnell, uh, Joe Manchin, a Democrat has extracted from West Virginia. I mean, what else is there? You've talked about going on tour there. There's nothing left. What used to be a vast, beautiful place is now just extracted for natural resources yeah and kentucky is no great place to end up on tour either that's not <laughs> people aren't like you're not stoked when you end up in louisville okay you're yeah. not like oh great day off in louisville i'm not trying to diss on these places i'm trying to say you know what has happened right from voting against your own best interests for decades and decades upon decades and look we're all americans i love all americans it may sound like i'm dissing on certain parts of the country i'm not i'm generalizing it to talk about political trends you know and i'm talking about the folks that get exploited right the folks that keep being like yeah second amendment bro guns no that's stupid you don't need an ar-15 you don't need somebody posing with a weapon on their christmas card having their little kids smiling holding a gun in two days, it's the ninth anniversary of Sandy Hook, okay? 26 people lost their lives. Brave teachers and school children perished in a minute, in five minutes. The whole thing was like less than five minutes, right? So some little whack job can go in there and kill everybody and his mom bought him the gun. And then you're gonna have Lauren Boebert posing with a gun on her Christmas card thinking it's cute. Thomas Massey. Kentucky, I believe, right? Representative Massey, guy from Kentucky, started the whole trend last week, showing his whole family with guns sitting on their couch in front of their Christmas tree. It's porn, right? It's gun porn. And they dress it up in like Christianity, right? It's a Christmas tree, right? It's, it's supposed to be like this sacred holiday, you know, where little baby Jesus was born. The wise men would have been wearing masks because they were wise men, Right. <laughs> they wouldn't be at the master, uh-huh. right? Yeah. They wouldn't be like, here's some myrrh, here's some ivermectin, you know, <laughs> bullets. That kid's going to be a hunter. You know what I mean? So, but yeah. they couch all this stuff together and people, you know, that's why they want people broke. That's why they want you working in an Amazon factory at two in the morning, packing up a bunch of shit that was made in China that somebody can't live without, but they could have bought at their local freaking drugstore or something instead of clicking online and getting it shipped all over the place, right? Mm -hmm. As I talk about all the time, like our whole economy is now set up to reward billionaires and one percenters and keep the majority of people living in poverty they'll never climb out of, right? And that's the scam. That's what the Koch brothers want, okay? That's what the Republicans vote for. Lindsey Graham was on the TV, you know, talk shows this morning, Sunday morning, 
railing against, you know, build back better plan, railing against spending this money. He had no problem with Trump's tax cuts for mm -hmm. the one percenters because that's who they represent. These guys are shysters. They're con men. And Trump was the king of the con men. And it's never going to end. I'll finish in a second, Jimmy. I can see you want to get in here. You know, I'm just saying Trump was a dumbass. Mm -hmm. DeSantis isn't a dumbass. DeSantis was a Yale-educated Navy JAG, okay? DeSantis' job, first at Guantanamo Bay, was like, how do you torture people legally? Not that anybody even cared about the combatants at Guantanamo Bay. And then he went to Fallujah in the Trump surge, and his, or in the Trump surge, <laughs> Freudian slip, in the troop <laughs> surge that we sent to Fallujah, Ron DeSantis was a Navy JAG who was a, assigned to a, a bunch of Navy SEALs. Right. And he was he was basically they wanted to go capture enemy combatants and, and skirt the Geneva Conventions. So that was Ron DeSantis job was how to torture people and get away with it. Right. That guy will torture this whole country. That's a bent, twisted man. And every week he has more batshit crazy legislation in Florida. This week, he wants to remove any kind of safeguards on guns. So if you had a DWI, now you can't get a gun in Florida, right? The law as it stands today is if you got a gun, you have to like, you know, if you have DWIs and all these kind of pre-existing sort of conditions, you're not eligible to get a gun and you have to have firearm safety training and all this stuff. He wants to gut all that. So you don't need any permit. He wants permitless carry like they have in Texas. Just letting anybody have a gun. In yeah. Florida. I mean, that's going to be hell on earth. I'll never go back to Florida. You know, I already know that. It's like, I'm never going to set foot in Texas or Florida again. Well, and didn't he just institute like his own secret police, his own Gestapo? That like can... tried. He wants to. He didn't get to do it, but he I mean, proposed it. Yeah. And he also had the legislation where you can like run over protesters. Am, am I crazy? Or, or was that yeah, no, no, else? that was him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my my thing is, how does MAGA not wake up to this and go... Hey, this isn't normal. It's not even normal, is what I. This is like Twilight Zone shit where we are now, <laughs> isn't it? Or am I just am I crazy? Yeah, no, it is. I mean, because you're watching Christmas trees burn up on Fox News, right? right. There is no right. normal. You're getting so manipulated. You know, when the historians talk about how we lost this republic and this democracy, right. if we lose it, I don't personally. I think we we are going to survive all this stuff. Because I think it's going to get so bad that people are going to get hip to what's really going down. But when you do sort of a, uh, a damage assessment after the fact, Fox News will be the biggest culprit. It's Fox News that's brainwashing all these people. All these changes came about when Reagan rescinded the fairness doctrine and mm -hmm. Fox News was able to come in, you know, because Rupert Murdoch's a businessman and he'd already basically been shut down in Australia. He's shut down now in England. You know, so 20 something years ago, he's like, you know, where's a big pocket of untapped profit? And he saw that in NASCAR America, in NFL America, in the America you grew up in, Jimmy, you're part mm -hmm. of that thing. I'm not blaming you, but like, you like a lot of that stuff on the menu. You like hot dogs and football and all <laughs> that kind of shit, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. Right? Bad for you, but you do it. I'll eat it up. Sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's poison, but, but you'll eat it, you know, because it's America. It's a hamburger. You don't think about, hey, you're torturing some animal to make that, you know, and some immigrant yeah. is killing their body in a meatpacking plant. Right. You just think, hey, that's part of red blooded being American. It's it's a myth. It's bullshit. Now, I'm not yeah. telling you not to eat meat. What I'm telling you, is, I mean, you should think about it because it's not, a, I, you know, it's not a healthy 
thing for the planet. If you care about climate change, that's your biggest culprit right there is methane gas, you know, and what it takes to raise these cattle, especially the cheap ones, the Burger King shit, you know, where it's 20 different cows in your hamburger. That's not like one animal that's been butchered. That's them yeah. being raised and slaughtered in mass. And then just, you know, it's gross stuff. People don't want to think about it. Right. That's, yeah. that, that's what, that's what Rupert Murdoch was a genius at. He knew people didn't want to think about stuff. Right. So if, if you get a blonde with big tits telling the news, saying like the other guys are communist and bad guys, you know, they freaked out that their crappy little Christmas tree burnt up. It's on the other side of the street right there on 6th Avenue, 48th and 6th, right? Rockefeller Center is at 49th <laughs> and 5th and 6th. And you go see the Rockefeller Christmas tree, which I worked on for 12 years, which is a big, beautiful Norwegian spruce, 100 foot tall that we bring in from Maryland this year. Go see a real Christmas tree, not some little fake plastic thing, right? But it's indicative of what they sell, fake plastic stuff, fake boobs, fake faces, fake hair, fake America, fake MAGA. And Trump understood that. He said, look, these guys put them in red hats. Let's get them in an arena. Let's like get them like wearing T-shirts with flags on it and screaming eagles and all this bullshit. And let's get a subculture to promote it. Let's get Joe Rogan's and ultimate fighting people and all this kind of like <laughs> anti-woke white men, how the world's so unfair to them. And let's start this big fire. Let's let people think critical race theory is the biggest threat. That's not a threat. Climate change is a threat. Telling the truth about what we are and how we got here is a blessing, right? But that's not going to help the bottom line of a you know Australian guy sitting on his super yacht with Jerry Hall feeding them grapes, as I say every week, you know, like that's the thing. It's just like, it's so cynical what these men are doing to America, you know, but they've been so brainwashed that they accept it. They're the ones who are going to suffer. Trump screws the people closest to him first. He wants to be an elite New Yorker. You know what I mean? He had the Clintons at his wedding, dude. He, he would love to be like an A-list celebrity. He'd be sitting in Alec Baldwin's backyard right now if Alec would have him. You know, <laughs> He always desired to be a part of this world. He couldn't. He hated the rubes that would come to his casinos. He would have security walk with him on the floor so these old ladies that he bust in from Ohio wouldn't try to touch him and stuff because they disgusted him. He used the word white trash all the time. We didn't shoot episodes of Celebrity Apprentice in Kentucky, right? He wasn't like, I can't wait to go to Indianapolis on vacation this summer. You know what I mean? No one's ever said that. Right. He's lived in New York and Palm Beach, right? Yeah. Right. It's, um, yeah, man. I mean, they've turned, as, the, as somebody that studied journalism, it's really embarrassing to see an entire news corporation turn into the WWE, a entertainment arm of a news gathering function. And they, what you were talking about with Fox News is what they do with the WWE. You know, they have a hot blonde chick, a brunette, a redhead, you know, whatever variety you want, they've got it. And then they periodically, like a men's soap opera, you know, interject these characters. And that's that's what they do. That's why Giuliani and Trump have always kind of been associated with one another. These faces keep showing up. And if you go back and watch the debates, all the characters, all the people that are in trouble now, we're always there. They were always around. I, I guess it's amazing that I thought, you know, democracy would go away quietly, but it's it's happening in plain sight and loudly. <laughs> you know, that's that's what blows my mind with this whole thing, too. Yeah, and they count on you to get tired. You know, yeah. I, I've told this story. When Trump showed up 
the first year of his beauty pageants. You know, he had Miss Teen USA and Miss Universe and stuff. The first year, the whole crew was there standing around, union labor, DGA. Trump came out, spent an hour inspecting the contestants, walking up and down, sticking his fingers in their teeth like they were horses he just bought, trying to find the one that was going to turn him on the most. And people sat around disgusted. And it cost a whole hour in like production time. In the next year, they wrote it into the budget. They wrote it into the production schedule. Trump inspects contestants. No electric call or whatever, you know, so you wouldn't have grips and all these people like, here, take a longer lunch. Trump's going to come in and, and pick out his favorite now. That's fucking disgusting. Right. And that was part of the world. Jeff Zucker knew about all that stuff at NBC. You know, it's like people knew this stuff. But there's money to be made. It's like I said about the financial stuff. There are other companies that are going to make money off of a guy like Trump. And, and that's what we're learning now, because everyone's like, why didn't all these, why didn't anyone stand up to him? Because the GOP are not, you know, they're spineless men anyway. You know, they're corrupt by nature, right? <laughs> they are. The modern yeah. GOP, yeah. these are Tea yeah. Party guys. You know, Ted Cruz, nobody likes Ted Cruz. Even people in his own party can't stand the guy. You know, and he sat there maskless next to Amy Klobuchar at Bob Dole's funeral the other day. She's battling cancer and the guy's not wearing a mask. How that happens, I don't know. You know, how, how do you allow that, that degradation? And they're just like, well, that's Ted Cruz. He needs the photo op of him without the mask. You know, just like MGT needs the whatever tweet she's going to send and video and all this stuff. People treat you how you let them treat you. And right now we're letting these guys walk all over us. You know, and yeah, people are bitching about it on podcasts, but that's not going to save anything. You know, you need people that are ready to kick ass. Eric Swalwell, AOC, you know, there's a younger generation that wants to do something about this. There's an older generation that's pretty cozy, you know, with the way things are because they had a good life with the way things are. And they're hoping it's just going to go back to normal. It doesn't go back to normal. Atlantic City doesn't become Atlantic City again after Trump bankrupts a bunch of casinos and launders money for the mob for 15 years. That's what happened to this country. It's not going back to the way it is. So the sooner you, you know, let go of that myth, you know, put your hand over your heart and pledge allegiance to the flag and all this bullshit. This was never a free country for most of the people, you know, that weren't white men, <laughs> white Christian men and women in it. We slaughtered the people to get this land. And we still don't talk about that. We're not the good guys that we think we are. And that's not saying like individuals are bad people. That's saying we're not being honest about how we got to this place. And until we become honest about it, it doesn't get better. It's like I said at the beginning of this thing, talking about sobriety. When you get sober, you make a list of all the things that you're pissed off about and basically all the bad stuff you did. It's called a fourth step. You're taking inventory, a moral inventory. You know, where did I act out in anger? Where did I lie? Where did I cheat? Where did I steal? Where did I feel jealousy and resentment, right? And you take mm -hmm. stock of that. We need to do that as a nation. We need to admit what we did to the indigenous peoples. We need to admit what we did to African Americans. We need to pay our debts. We're somehow hoping we can like ignore that, you know, and just go along into some bright utopian future. And we can't because the, the, the white guys that profited from that are still in power, you know, and they saw a way back into power with Trump. Because Trump got backed by Putin. And that, that system of governance looked very good to men like Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul, who's been in bed with Putin forever. Because they're like, wait, I get to be an oligarch? The people have no power? And I get to take state resources? 
and profit off it personally. That's what the oil companies are. That's what the Koch brothers are doing. You know, the, all this stuff happens on public lands, you know, even on the left, you know, how is Jeff Bezos? How, do, how can he have a 200 square foot warehouse in the middle of some field that can't withstand <laughs> a tornado? And, you know, you had uh, a labor dispute as well. Uh, Kellogg's, they're wanting to replace their entire workforce at one of their factories because they're trying to bargain for a better option, you know, and um, it's really deflating that like human capital is expendable. We see people as numbers in a spreadsheet, not well, as, as human beings. To me, there's more depth to, to the human life than than what there is right now. Yeah, well, that's what capitalism is. I mean, this country was built on that. That's what the industrial revolution is. You would have been sewing up pants or something from the time you were 10 years old in some factory if you were born 100 years ago, Jimmy. Mm -hmm. It was only unions that gave people a better life, especially in these red states. All these working class sort of states where that, you know, we built made in America, all this great stuff that we did. It was unions that let people get paid a decent living. You know, 50, 60 years ago, you'd have two cars in the driveway, three kids going to college and own your own home from working in a factory, right? And Reagan and these guys came in and were like, that's not a good economic model. If we move that factory to China, the CEO of that company can make a billion dollars a year. And that's what happened. And all these places rusted out. That's where the rust belt began. And people didn't adjust to this new reality. And they suffered. And then you had like the Mercers and all these media companies, Fox. And then you had even worse, the Sacklers, right? You had like guys like drug dealers selling opioids into these regions that were already economically depressed because people already had broken bodies from digging coal and working in factories. So you had doctors that could write them pain medicine, write scripts. And then those floated around town because you forget about your problems for half a second when you get high. And then you have a situation like that. I mean, it's been war on working class America for a long time. And it's getting exploited now to the point that they've made it a religion. As I say every week, these people think guns and a Punisher sticker and a big pickup truck is going to lead them to some kind of Valhalla. (laughs) You know, it's not. You're weakening your community. You're robbing from your children. If you think it's bad now with tornadoes in December and 65 degree, you know, weather, Wait 20 years. If you have kids, Jimmy, your kids are going to live in a vastly different climate. The, you know, the Norwegian wolf went extinct this week. There's no genetic trace of it left on this planet, a majestic animal. And that's happening all the time. You know, as I said, like if you, you got to revere nature, you got to see it life for the miracle that it is. If somebody invented a dragonfly, you'd be like, that's amazing. You made that, bro. It flies around and has eyes and colors and stuff. If you saw a squirrel, if a squirrel came from outer space, you'd be like, whoa, look at this thing. It runs around and gets nuts and can think. And you know what I mean? There's beauty and magic already existing in life as it is. And we think something you can buy is cool. You know, you think a drone is cooler than like, you know, an eagle or a hawk or something. Do you know what I mean? We're too enamored with like sort of technology and shit that's man-made, right? The best thing people make is art paintings and music and things that elevate our soul books stories things that share traditions are cool cars aren't really that cool i know people think it's really cool but it was a short-term gain they basically ruined this planet 
We paved the whole freaking thing so we could drive these things that are only like 110 years old or whatever around. We, we basically like threw away our entire future so an anti-Semite could sell a bunch of cars in Ford. So he invented that factory and it seemed like a great idea. And as I said, it was for four generations or so, right? You could go to work in Detroit and, and, and raise yourself up through the middle class. And then it got all screwed up because Reagan and these guys came in and were like, this is not a good business model. Why are we paying these guys all this money? Let's make it in China. Let's ship it. You know, and it wasn't just Republicans. Clinton had a lot to do with that too. NAFTA and stuff. You know, it's the whole thing. It's a whole system, but you have to look at it holistically and think like, you know, what's the end game here? What would I rather have? A big pickup truck or like birds, bees? We're about to lose bees. You lose bees, you lose pollinators. You don't have agriculture. That's why agriculture now is all ConAgra and these big, you know, Monsanto and these big companies. You have to buy their product to grow crops. People think it's still farmers and stuff. They sell you this image. Like you listen to Nashville country music. You think somebody's out there digging up potatoes all day. That's not how it works. And, and I'll shut up in a minute. They, they just found out this week, they had slave labor in Southern Georgia picking crops. Dude's making 20 cents a bucket picking onions. 20 cents a bucket, dude, getting raped, getting abused. That's happening now, right? So, you know, it's just happening out of plain sight. And you need to bring all this stuff into view. Sunlight is a disinfectant. It's like I said, this country needs a fourth step. It needs an honest like inventory about where we're at, what's happening here, who's existing below the poverty line and how do we help them? Not little punks like Lindsey Graham running (laughs) around on Sunday talk shows with his hangover from gin and diazepine or whatever he took last night, railing against infrastructure. You don't need little meth maggots like Marjorie Taylor Greene calling everybody communists. She's one of the most insane people this country's ever produced. That is just, she boggles my mind. And I'm not just talking about the way she looks, which is like a piece of ham that was left out in a driveway, (laughs) driven over 50 times, right? It's all pockmarked and pebbled. I know that's rude. I shouldn't talk about someone's look, but she's so physically ugly because of who she is as a person. And she's the future of that party. She's a world famous. Marjorie Taylor Greene is more famous than I'll ever be. You know, then you'll like, not that we need to be famous. I'm just making a point. Like she's a household name. Lauren Boebert is a household name right now. And nobody knew who she was a year ago. These are freshmen. They just came to power last January. And now probably any school kid could tell you their name. That that wouldn't have been the case 20 years ago. School kids would not have known who, who's the representative from, from Rifle, Colorado, right? <laughs> yeah. from, from, from Meth Lab, Georgia. You know, who's the representative, right? They wouldn't have known that no. from, from Salty Taint, Arizona, you know? But they'll be like, Paul Gosser, who's insane. Do you see the way his head moves when he talks? That guy is yeah. like a psychotic snake. He obviously has some physical condition which isn't his fault. He's got Parkinson's or something is like seriously wrong with that guy, you know? And you're just letting him be in Congress doing this stuff. It's insane. This is yeah. not our proudest moment. Well, on my uh, newsletter this week, I started a newsletter, folks, for those that uh, would like to read some of my thoughts on current affairs in this country. I wrote about a lack of uh, 
civic duty and humanity, a combination of the two, you know, that that Americans felt a duty to vote, to take a vaccine, to prevent gun violence, or at least have humanity about gun violence, you know, but we don't even have that anymore. We don't even want to save children from a pandemic or, you know, being shot in, in their school. And then you combine it with social media where no tragedy ever happens. Everybody's got to be smiling and put on a good face for their friends online. And, you know, I was thinking about it this week. I still have my groceries delivered to my house because I don't want to go into the store with Omnicron running rampant and everything else. There's no humanity even in like getting our food anymore. It's, you know, it's ordered on an app and it's delivered where it's contactless and you don't see the person that, that brings it to you. You don't see where it's grown out of the ground. No wonder none of us are human or that a lot of us have shed our human feelings because nothing that we do is human anymore. Really? But, yes, but we can change that, Jimmy. And yeah. you make up a good point. It's mindfulness. You know, yeah. if, if you study like Buddhist philosophies or Eastern philosophies, you know, think about, you know, when you're eating a bell pepper, think about the water that went into the ground to nourish that crop. Think about the sunlight that helped it grow. Think about the people that, you know, pulled it from the ground for you carefully, put it into a basket and brought it to market. That's how it should be, you know, because if you have mindfulness, you'll have gratitude for things. And then you're really nourishing your body. You know, when you're not thinking about something and you're just shoving it down your face in a rush, sitting in your car in the parking lot of some place where you got a $2.99 deep fried happy death meal you, you know happy what i mean <laughs> you have no like you know you have no connection to it you know you're taking it from some underpaid worker you know who's like pissed off you have to have a spiritual connection to all of life and a mindfulness and that begins individually that begins like focusing on your breath focusing on the good things in your life making choices that are like non-harming right buying your food in a way like you know where it comes from you know and and the good news is that's a huge trend in this country right there's way more farmers markets now there's the concept of organic stuff that didn't even exist really when i was a kid in the 70s i mean i lived part of my childhood was in like woodstock and tents and stuff and there were health food stores and and, and you know things but it, not like now you know now you, the younger generation is completely woke to that stuff I don't even think I drank water until I was 15. You know, they weren't like hydrate, like they would give us purple drinks and Kool-Aid and like it was nothing but sugar and fried stuff when you were a kid. You know, it's a miracle we all survived, but <laughs> that has changed a lot, you know, so and that's where it begins. It's like you want a connection to this. When you eat an animal, you got to think this thing gave its life for me. What am I going to do with the energy it's providing my body and the nutrition? You know, am I going to do something good with that? or bad. You know, what am I going to do in this next moment? Am I going to be part of the change that makes this world a better place? Or am I going to give into anger and darkness? You know, and you're hearing that from a guy who rants every week about anger. But like, that's what this podcast is. I'm just trying to, you know, wrap up what I see this week and point out some truths, you know, and, and, and communicate with my listeners, you know, with our listeners, you know, and as I said before, when they come to shows, it's the best feeling in the world. When people are like, hey, I listen to the podcast. You know, when they buy a T-shirt and support it, shout out to Barbara and Taylor who bought T-shirts this week, you know, and other folks have done in the past. Like people want to communicate with each other. They want to feel connected. They want a solution out of this madness and we'll have one. 
we'll have one. We just have to raise our voices and consciousness. We have to, you know, it's like Mr. Rogers said, you know, find out where the healers are, you know, or the helpers are. There's a famous quote, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, somebody asked him about if bad things happen, you know, what do you do? And he's like, you go find the helper. There's always people helping. I know guys who went in there on the day of Sandy Hook, first responders, those guys are heroes. They couldn't save any lives, you know, but they had to deal with the aftermath and they'll never be the same. And that's the other thing you mentioned, you know, we have all these shootings and stuff and, and Fox News and these guys, they don't want you to focus on that. And nobody really shows anybody what it looks like. Not that they should, not that anybody should have to see that, but there is a physical reality to what happens after a school shooting and it ain't a pretty one, right? And it's certainly not one where a week later you should be posing in front of your Christmas tree with the same weapons, like it's a joke. You're spitting in the faces of people whose kids are in the cold, hard ground this December instead of sitting around the Christmas tree in their pajamas. Those people were robbed of their children. They'll never, ever be the same. Those communities will never be the same. And it's an epidemic. And you have people fueling it on for laughs and kicks and donations. Fox News and the NRA have done more damage to this country than Hirohito, you know, all these Ho Chi Minh, you know, all these boogeymen that, that we spent countless lives and, 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 you know, coin fighting against. And we're not fighting against this major threat in our own backyard. So good things will prevail. And Mr. Rogers, if I ever told you my Mr. Rogers story, I got to work with Mr. Rogers. No, man, let's hear it. At the yeah. daytime Emmys. And uh, Mr. Rogers was being honored, you know, like a Lifetime Achievement Award. And Mr. Rogers came out at the end of the night. I think I've told this story before, but here it goes again. And we had cars, like town cars for everybody. And Mr. Rogers was like, yeah, I don't want that. You know, just get me a cab. Help me, you know, get a cab. So this is at Radio City Music Hall. I run out onto 6th Avenue and it's rush hour. It's like shift change, like no cabs are stopping. And Mm -hmm. I finally stopped this off-duty cabbie. And uh, I was like, hey, man, can I I get a fare? You know, can I put somebody in your cab? And he's like, nah, you know, I'm off-duty or whatever. I said, please, dude, it's Mr. Rogers. (laughs) <laughs> and this guy was from, he wasn't from the United States. I think he was from Africa or somewhere. And he's like, what, Mr. Rogers, it would be my honor. Yes, please. And he gets out the cab and he opens the door for him and his smile lit up, you know, and his eyes lit up. And he was so thrilled, you know, to help out Mr. Rogers in this moment. It was so touching to me, you know, because this guy was from a place where you wouldn't think he necessarily would have seen Mr. Rogers or whatever, but he had, and he'd understood what Mr. Rogers stood for you know, which was kindness and, and loving compassion towards children. And this guy was like thrilled that he was going to spend a few minutes. And I put Mr. Rogers in a cab, you know, and he took <laughs> off and I, I high fived my buddies that were there because we were all out there to protect Mr. Rogers too. That was the other thing. You know, I was in my twenties when this happened and my other production dudes, bros that I worked with were like, oh, we're going to make sure Mr. Rogers gets taken care of. You know, <laughs> Oprah yeah. can catch her own thing, you know? <laughs> Like, no one, you know what I mean? Oprah is going to be taken care of. But there's people like that everywhere. You know, there's good people. The heroes are not, they're not the vocal ones. They're out there helping people. And, and we can all do that. Every day of your life, you have an opportunity to help somebody else and be of service. That's the way to go. That's the gift. You know, that's the miracle you should celebrate in the holiday season. It's about love and light and spreading joy, you know, and, and there's plenty of it in the world. It's just the the louder stuff is winning and and politics, 
are unavoidable and it's dark and it's ugly and we are in a pandemic, but there are things to cheer and ultimately we will prevail. And I think, uh, you know, laughter is a big part of that. So speaking of laughter, I'm going to be at the city winery in Boston, December 23rd. It's coming up less than two weeks, 6 PM show. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait to get there. I'm getting in town a day early. I love Boston. So uh, I, I can't wait to meet some of these folks that are coming. They've hit me up online. They got tickets and stuff. My buddy Gus is coming from Rhode Island with his family. They came to my show in uh, Norwalk. So it's really cool to meet these people. It's great to get in a room and laugh. You know, that'll really heal you. That and music. You know, Jimmy's having a coffin fit. So I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, we're going to wrap this up here for the holidays. People are busy. I don't want to take too much of your time, but um, we'll see you next week. Keep the faith, keep the fight up, and uh, keep laughing, keep smiling. Jimmy, what do you want to tell them? Uh, you can check out my stuff, jbkonair.com. Also check out uh, either my Twitter or Instagram account. It's got my link tree, uh, which will take you to my new Substack. stack uh, they subscribe to if you feel compelled. So go ahead and check that out, guys. Appreciate Jimmy, it. Jimmy got all kinds of stuff going on. Jimmy Jams, <laughs> multimedia man. <laughs> Trying to, man. How's the luck going with the ladies, Jimmy? It's going pretty well. I uh, I got a pecan pie from one of my lovelies that baked me a, a pecan pie, and uh, it was awesome. One of the best ones I've ever had. So it's a happy holiday for me. One of my this. lovelies. Damn, yeah. Jimmy's got a harem that bakes him pies, yo. <laughs> Jimmy, yeah. Jimmy pimping the pies out, man. <laughs> not pimping them out, man. Where's my, I, where's my pie, woman? <laughs> I paid for it. With, with the money it was green it, it transferred oh, so you paid her for a pie yeah i invested in her business she's she like bakes them at home man oh she bakes pies okay yeah. that's yeah. what you do well there you go she makes it so, with love you know i told you that oprah yeah. story i always tell you know when you get somebody to make that's something right. with love and in, in hinduism there's a word for that it's called prasad you know and uh like ama who's this great uh spiritual leader in india in the sort of Hindu path of devotion woman has done more for the world than, than the UN in many ways. Incredible. <laughs> she's called the hugging saint. If anybody is hip to uh, Ama, she's, she's the real deal. But when you go to her, she'll have these big sort of meditation like retreats. I've been to several of them and there's a word called Prasad, you know, where it's like the food is blessed. And whenever right. you eat these vegetarian meals, like in her presence, it feels better. You know, it nourishes you when there's spirit, and care going into what you put in your body, you know, it makes all the difference. And, and I'm glad we touched on that this week. It sounds esoteric to people, but it's not, you know, it's everything you interact with, you consume energy, you know, you consume. That's why people react so well to animals and dogs and stuff. Cause they're coming at you with love, right? Yeah. Unless they've been abused, they're coming at you with an open heart. Like what's up, you know, what's going to be <laughs> joyful in this moment. What are we going to enjoy together? What are we going to eat? You know, there's nothing sweeter than when a dog looks at like a human eating something that he wants to. <laughs> you know? Yeah. They're just like, man, that looks amazing. Am I going to get some of that nourishment? You know what I mean? It's sharing. Sharing is supposed to be the point of Christmas. It's better to give than to receive. So go yeah. give. You've got, you always have something to give. You always have something to give. As they say in AA, like the dude with, you know, two days can stick his hand out to the guy with one day, right? Mm -hmm. Sober. Like there's always somebody sort of 
who can benefit from what you've done before them. You know, like you can help people that, you know, grow up with disabilities and all this stuff. Yeah. They see you out there with sub stacks and women making you pies. <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, Fancy I'm, I'm a lucky stuff. man. No, exactly. I'm a lucky man. Exactly. No question. All right, folks, we'll have a blessed week. God knows what's going to come down the pike. You know, <laughs> hopefully no more PowerPoints and stuff because it's been bonkers. Stay blessed within it all. We love you. We love hearing from you. We love the support. So thank you. We'll see you next week. Episode 41 is done. Peace.